G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hello, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast. Remember, you can hear 2020 on the Vision Radio Network from 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Time or 11 a.m. Eastern Summer Time here on the Vision Radio Network. Today, we're talking about bioethics. When it comes to bioethics, most of us probably don't have a deep understanding of the complications surrounding issues like organ donation. Mostly we're reliant on the insights of experts who grapple with the hard questions of right and wrong and the challenges of life and death. And importantly, at what point our organs could be taken, if you happen to be an organ donor, to save another life. Professor Nicholas Tonti Filippini is a bioethicist who applies his Christian theology to these complicated issues and has just released his third volume in a six-volume series about bioethics. He's raised a specific issue we want to look at today. It's the issue of brain death and at what point do we officially die? It's an important issue, especially when it comes to our own decisions to donate organs. Professor Nicholas Tonti-Filippini, welcome back to 2020. Thank you. Nicholas, bioethics for most of us is a whole lot of stuff that goes above our heads. Uh, For our listeners who are interested in what uh, bioethics does, and particularly when it comes to this issue when we talk about brain death, how do you put that in a nutshell that we can all understand? Uh, well, 30 years ago, we, we, we changed the law in Australia so that um, as well as diagnosing death when somebody lost permanently lost their their heart function and circulation and, and capacity to breathe, we also allow death to be diagnosed when somebody has lost all of their brain function. Um, and what usually happens when that happens is that if someone suffers a brain injury, the brain swells. When the brain swells, it it cuts off the blood supply um, to the rest of the brain and the, the, without a, a, an oxygenated blood supply, the, the brain tissues just liquefy. Um, and so you end up with, with no brain function at all. That means that normally a person in those circumstances can't breathe. Um, and until uh, the, the advent of, of, of ventilation and being able to, to have artificial breathing done for somebody, basically, um, People just died in these circumstances. Their heart would stop soon after, um, and their breathing would stop. But now we were able to keep their breathing going with a machine, and so that raises questions about whether they are alive or dead once their brain has has, has suffered this terrible injury. Um, and we we've changed the law to allow death to be diagnosed, so that even though we kept somebody going on a ventilator and the heart kept beating, we could diagnose death. Um, and if we wanted to, we could withdraw the ventilator. And um, before we withdrew the ventilator and they died, we could also remove their organs. So we have what's called beating heart donation, where we can take the organs, including the heart, lung, liver, uh, all the kidneys, the major organs can be taken from someone whose heart's still beating. Um, that's the concept of brain death, as it's called. 
most of the the, the churches um, uh, expressed support for that concept, um, and it was it wasn't particularly controversial at that time. It was generally accepted. Some some faiths uh, never accepted it. Um, Orthodox Jews uh, uh, objected to it and insisted on cardiac death. And and I guess there not everybody accepts it. Some um, I remember when I was working in this area in in the early 80s, um, it was the most common area of conscientious objection by by nurses uh, and some doctors in intensive care and in the operating room. So they didn't want to be involved with with this process of diagnosing death and removing organs in these circumstances. So it was a little controversial. Um, Nicholas, when it comes to being a Christian theologian as well as a bioethicist as you are, uh, applying your Christian faith to these sorts of issues, what what difference does it make compared to secular bioethicists and the sorts of decisions that they think are the right ones? Well, what we've seen on this issue is some development. Um, what I've outlined to you is what was going on 30 years ago. What's happened since is that a lot of people um, uh, who are in a secular frame of mind and not a religious frame of mind have have said, well, if somebody loses permanently loses consciousness, then we should be able to diagnose death. So that's a different thing from brain death. Um, someone could still have some brain function, um, but but not be able to be conscious as far as we can tell. Um, and so if somebody suffers a damage to what's called the brain stem, this is the lower part of the brain and the part of the brain that connects the brain to the rest of the body. If they suffer damage to the brain stem, then it's thought that they, they won't be conscious because consciousness is usually what's called a, a wave of activity from that brain stem into the upper part of the brain where the thinking occurs, so to speak. So that they, what they've done in more recent times is diagnose death just by doing tests of the brain stem, the lower part of the brain, and not testing the rest of the brain. And we know uh, from um, the, the, the functions of the midbrain, which um, controls the hormone system and so on, that in about half the cases where they're now diagnosing brain death by just, just that simple test of the brain stem, about half of them still have some brain function in the upper parts of the brain, and particularly in the midbrain. And so that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a controversy there because the secular version is saying these people are not conscious, but from a religious point of view, we, we, can't, be con- we can't be confident that, that the soul is, is no longer present in the body, so to speak, um, while there's still, the body still functions, is still alive and is still integrated and the parts of the body still relate to one another through the functions, at least the hormonal functions of the brain. So... It, it's a situation where, where religious people would give the benefit of the doubt and say, um, we've got to treat these people as though they are alive because we're not sure. Um, where the secular people are saying, well, as long as we can be confident that they're not going to be conscious, we can treat them as though they are already dead. Because in, a, in English-speaking countries, they're diagnosing death by just doing the, the, the what are called the clinical tests on testing for pain, response to pain and that sort of thing. Whereas if you were living in Spain or France or, or Italy or Singapore or Japan, um, they would require a test to show that all the brain was dead. They would require a test to show that there was no blood supply to the brain. So we've got a difference now in practice between, between different, different Western countries. So um, those countries I mentioned have a, have a more rigorous test. They also, I might add, they also have a much higher acceptance of uh, organ donation so that the the donation rate in in spain and italy and france is higher than the donation rate in australia and england and the the united kingdom um uh, generally and the us and canada 
uh, well, New, New Zealand, where countries which have gone for this lesser standard for brain death. The, one of the really important things about the Spanish or the Italian um, or French way of doing it is that when, when they go to the family to say, your, your relative is dead, they can show them an image um, of, the, of the blood supply showing that there's no blood supply to the brain. They can show the blood supply in the rest of the body and, the, and no blood getting into the brain, um, either with an X-ray or with a, an ultrasound uh, image. They can show that. So that, that's really important. Here in Australia, if you have somebody who, who's diagnosed um, by a brain death, you'll just be told by the doctors that they are brain dead. Um, you won't see the tests generally and you won't see any kind of evidence that this is the case. So that they will look alive, they're still breathing on a machine, they look um, as though they're just asleep, their heart's still beating and, and people are expected then to, to relinquish, to, to say goodbye to them and to, to leave them so that then they can be taken off to the operating theatre and have their organs removed. And that's a very hard thing to do for people here. Um, and that's, that's one of the major issues. So we've got a, a difference that's emerged between a religious perspective on death and a more secular perspective. There is a liberalisation of uh, what actually constitutes being dead uh, or brain dead. And, uh, and you're saying there's controversy here because uh, Christian churches need to keep up with the idea that there has been a liberalisation and, uh, and it doesn't necessarily equate with what we would understand as a person being alive. Yes, I mean, the, the medicine has moved, if you like, they moved ahead of the law. The law still says that, that there has to be complete and irre- irreversible loss of all function of the brain. All function of the brain has to be lost. Whereas they're diagnosing death when there's, there's still some partial brain function. And it is very controversial. And uh, Nicholas Tonti Filippini, uh, stay with us because we'll come back and talk shortly. I want to ask you about church attitudes. Uh, and the way that churches should approach the way they counsel people in their congregations when it comes to these issues. You're listening to the 2020 podcast on the Vision Radio Network. We're back with more of our conversation about bioethics and the difference in ideas between secular and Christian ethicists over brain death and issues surrounding organ donation. Professor Nicholas Tonti Filippini is a Christian bioethicist and has just released his third volume in a six-volume series about bioethics. He's head of bioethics at the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Melbourne and recently chaired an Australian government public inquiry to produce recommendations for trade in human tissue. Nicholas, you mentioned there is a more liberal attitude towards brain death and when organs can be taken from an organ donor. Does it mean that church ministers need to update the way they might counsel people who are losing a loved one? Yes, they, they now need to be aware that there, there's, there's, been, there's a division between a religious view and a secular view about death. And what they should be counselling people is to... to if they have a relative who's been diagnosed uh, with brain death, they need to say to their doctors, uh, and, and they need to be counselled to say to their doctors, I need to see an image of the blood supply to the brain to be sure that the brain is actually dead. And is, so that, I, a, is that something that you can do? You can ask for the evidence while you're at the hospital? Yes, of course you can. You can ask, you say, look, I, I, I want to see that there's either an X-ray or an ultrasound image to show me that that in fact there is no blood supply to the brain. Uh, I'm not happy with diagnosing death um, if there is still some brain function um, because that's what's happening. They're diagnosing death while there's still some brain function. They've moved away from what the law says, which is 
which is uh, complete and irreversible loss of all brain function, and they've moved to saying that, that some brain functions are more important than others. So they're saying if the person is no longer conscious, we can diagnose brain death, when in fact that's not... That's not what the law says, and it's not what the the church has accepted in the first place. And as a Christian, you don't want to accept a liberalised attitude towards this, because uh, if your loved one is still alive, you don't want their life to be taken. That's not a right uh, perspective. It's not a right position ethically before God. That's right. We we need to be confident that death has actually occurred. And we can't be confident unless we've got that evidence that that there's no blood supply to the brain. Otherwise, it becomes another form of euthanasia. Is that is that a appropriate well, way to yeah, talk about it? It's not strictly euthanasia. Euthanasia is, is mercy killing. Euthanasia is where you you kill somebody because they're in pain. Um, um, and, but that's a different issue. We're not we're not killing these people because they're in pain. We're killing these people because we want their organs for transplantation. And there is room then for exploitation. That's the risk, isn't it? There's a risk that they can be diagnosing death earlier than they should in order to make organs more available for transplantation. That's the risk. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in other countries that, that have a stricter policy, like Spain and Italy and France and so on, where they, they do require um, a, a test uh, to show no, no blood supply to the brain, they, in fact, have a higher acceptance rate of organ donation than we do here. So what I'm saying is that it's in the interests of transplantation to make sure they get this right, to be absolutely confident, to have, have the evidence to show people. And it's, it's much kinder for people. If you if you're, think about uh, your grieving and so on, it's much easier to grieve if you've seen that image that shows that the, that the brain is completely dead. Let's move on to another uh, controversial aspect of this, and that is trade in tissue. Uh, that's uh, that's something that flows on from uh, a diagnosis of death before it actually has happened. That's right. Um, in, in Australia, we, we prohibit, that is, the, the law and the ethics prohibits trading in human tissue, that is, selling human tissue. Um, uh, and that's been a good thing. Uh, it means that our, uh, our organ transplantation, our blood bank, our bone marrow bank, our eye banks and so on are all based on people um, charitably um, allowing the, the organs of the dead to be collected uh, and also people, uh, living people, donate their blood and their bone marrow um, for the use of others. And that, that's, that's um, uh, an enormous um, social capital that we have in Australia. It's an enormous part of our mateship. It's, it's a really lovely part of Australian culture that we've got that. But it is under threat at the moment because what has developed is that once a, once a, a, a tissue becomes what's called a tissue product, um, then um, it can be traded in Australia. So, for instance, if you donate blood to the blood bank, uh, to the Red Cross blood bank, a proportion of that blood they will send to the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, which are are actually a private company, um, a for-profit company. They will then manufacture blood products, like things like clotting factor for people who who suffer from from diseases where their blood doesn't clot and so on. That, um, That product then is no longer considered to be human tissue, it's a tissue product, and they will sell it back to the hospital system for a profit. Um, also, they're making, there are companies making bone screws and bone paste for use in orthopedic surgery. Um, there are products, are lots of products being made for use in plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery, um, a product called collagen, um, which is no longer, no longer has a cellular structure, but it, it does come from human tissue from people who have died. Um, We've seen uh, things like ligaments and so on 
uh, being used in surgery that have been taken from people who have died. And so that these things, once they've, they've done some work on them, they, they consider them a product and they're selling them. Now, I don't really have a strong objection to them um, recovering their costs. If, if a company is running a business and uh, in doing this, they're doing it all a service in producing the, um, the, the, the clotting factor or the other blood products, for instance, that's a good thing. Um, but it's when they make windfall profits, I think that they, they run the risk. So there, there was a court case involving uh, a man who had developed, he had cancer and then he overcame, his body overcame the cancer. The pathology company that had done tests on him uh, for diagnostic purposes then decided that they, had, they must then have um, antibodies to the cancer in the tissues that he provided. And they, they then marketed those um, antibodies as, as a treatment for cancer. And they were able to do so at a huge profit. He sued them because he wanted to get some, some money for, because it was his tissue that was used. And the courts ruled that, that once he had um, had a test done, the, 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 the tissue that, that they had taken in the pathology company belonged to the company uh, and was no longer his. And so he, he had no share in the profits. Now, my concern here is, and I chaired a government inquiry on this, and, and as a committee, we were concerned that if companies make windfall profits from human tissue, they will undermine the whole process of altruism and the donation of tissue. So we want to see ethical restrictions imposed on, on this use of tissue. And we think that in the distinction between tissue and a tissue product, we, we, we think there is a concept which we've called attenuation, that is a weakening of the connection between the, the person and their tissue. And we think that when that's sufficiently weakened, um, then it doesn't matter. They could fill that tissue. Um, so we, we want to see a distinction made on that basis. And we think that ethics committees should, should actually uh, be asked for approval before anybody can sell human, human tissue products. But the issues are in selling uh, human tissue are firstly that you undermine this system of, of altruistic donation. Secondly, if you're selling tissues on, on an open market like that, then the whole question of organ donation will depend on whether you've got the money to pay for it. At the moment, if you need an organ, uh, like if you need a kidney, you're on a waiting list and it's just determined according to medical need and outcome. It's got nothing to do with how big your pocket is, how deep your pocket is. Um, it's, it's a system that, that's run on, a, on, a, on an equity basis. Um, and that would be undermined if it was if it was done on a trade basis because the it would depend on who could pay the price for it. So you'd be undermining that. And then the, the, the thing from a religious perspective is that we, we want bodies to be respected and we do respect the bodies of people who have died. And the idea of selling the tissue of somebody who's died is repugnant to us. Um, we, we think that's not consistent with respect for the human body. Um, so it's okay to take tissue that's been given after somebody has died for transplantation but we don't think it's right to sell that tissue. Nicholas, some scary scenarios that you've introduced us to today, but if I were summing that up in a nutshell, uh, is it right to just say that uh, every individual, if you lose a loved one, uh, you need to have some proof that your loved one has actually died before organs are released? And it does preserve that sanctity of human life where we don't have a right to take a life but we do have a right to be generous uh, when we know that that life is gone. And uh, churches need to re revisit these issues and be clear on them so that we're, uh, we're not actually trampling all over these very special uh, spiritual Christian ethics that we need to hold to. 
That's right. The, the churches have, have supported transplantation, and I support transplantation. It's, a, it's an act of love, an act of charity to, to give organs after somebody has died when they have no further use for them, um, you know, that the person has died, and, and so that the, the parts of the body can be used in a respectful way, but can be used to, to save somebody else's life with a heart transplant or a kidney or, or a liver transplant or a lung transplant, that those are good things to do, um, and we should support that. But we do need to be sure that they're dead first. And we do need to be sure that, that they're not selling the tissue, that somebody's not making big profits out of it. We need to preserve this sense of, of a gift rather than, than having trade. Well, Nicholas, there are other issues we could get into, and we're out of time today, but we'll talk on another day about those issues of human-animal sure. transgenesis. Uh, but uh, Nicholas Tonti Filippini is a bioethicist. He's just released Volume 3 of a six-volume set on bioethics. And, uh, Nicholas, uh, uh, it's always a good time uh, talking to you, and uh, such insights are just invaluable, and really appreciate you being with us today on 2020. You're welcome. Thank you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.